0: So it's an, it's important to note that even though visually you may not see the women out on the streets, they're out there unfortunately, and many of them are out there with kids as we're seeing here day to day.
1: Women who experience homelessness have many underlying obstacles they have to battle that are not seen in plain sight. Beatrice Gonzalez, the director at Lotus House, joins the podcast to share, how her team helps women who fall into these tough circumstances. So, let's do it. Too many days in the
0: darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beaten Party wants to surrender, darling, you were meant to survive With star-
1: Beatrice. Thanks for coming on today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Of course, of course. I cannot wait to hear all about you guys. I have, of course, have a little bit of insight myself already for the organization. Being I had an amazing tour by you guys, but for the listeners. Hearing about Lotus House for the very first time, would you mind sharing what you guys kind of specialize in and and how you guys got started?
0: Sure. So Lotus House is a shelter for women and children experiencing homelessness here in South Florida, specifically Miami. Uh, Daily, we are sheltering approximately 520 to 525 women and children. So uh, busy shelter, busy house, lots going on normally about half of that number are children and the majority are under the age of six. So a lot of little ones running around here. Um, And as you can imagine, homelessness is a pretty complicated situation, right? We don't, uh, there isn't one blanket reason for why someone is experiencing homelessness. So we receive women and families who are victims of domestic violence, who perhaps have some deep unmet mental health care needs, some medical health care needs, which can precipitate you into homelessness, right, if it gets ahead of you. Um, right now, the cost of living is, is astronomical here in Miami. Um, so that has also brought a lot of families to Lotus House. We provide everything from safe shelter, holistic programming, medical, mental health care needs. Um, we have an on-site daycare run by United Way of miami Jade, employment, education services, everything we can offer to get them back on their feet.
1: Oh, holistic programming. What exactly is holistic programming?
0: Sure. Great question. So uh, while we offer counseling, therapeutic supports and linkages to psychiatric care if needed, we also understand that everybody heals in different ways. And while formal counseling can really be all that someone needs, another person might really benefit from yoga, meditation, Mm. healing arts.
1: That's uh, different. That's good
0: yeah food play and our kids really love it our kids really uh when they find something that they creatively feel connected to it really helps amplify the formal programming and counseling that they're also receiving
1: yeah sounds like you guys definitely have your hands full there
0: <laughs> just a little yeah just a little
1: i i think too it's it's really important for people to truly realize you know why there is a women's shelter you know cuz if you don't have a women's only shelter? You know what what is the alternative? You know, you'd be putting homeless women in a shelter with homeless men, which kind of sounds like a really really tough idea, mm-hmm. you know? And it made a lot of sense to me. And I understood it a lot better after watching a lot of different interviews with homeless women who are living on the streets all throughout different cities throughout the country and really hearing the struggles firsthand that they have to encounter. I mean, they have the obviously they they have the same struggles as men in terms of lack of housing food dealing with some some health struggles physically and, and possibly mentally as well um but they all they also have a string of other issues in in addition to these that they could possibly be struggling with too which in one interview that I heard from a, a woman who was living in a homeless encampment she had said that she didn't feel safe changing and she couldn't really even change her clothes without being in her sleeping bag like she wouldn't mm-hmm change unless she was fully covered up because she had felt like she was being seen and people watching her other homeless people especially and then she started to become concerned for herself that she would be attacked because obviously you know you don't have too many guardrails up against yourself you know to protect you like you do in a normal home with with locks and doors and you know she felt like she would possibly be attacked so i saw that a there seems to be a constant fear of just that that sexual assault element that is um that that seemed rampant just from that interview I saw, and um maybe you could open up a, a little bit more um on that in a little bit, but also in another interview with someone from new york city i she had said I, I had I had to quote this too because it really it really hit it on the head. If you've got cramps, good luck, maybe you can get some warmer hot water and a water bottle from Starbucks or something, or maybe you can steal some motric, and mm-hmm. that was her basically saying she was describing. That when she's trying to take care of her feminine hygiene, she's just running around trying to get what she needs. And then sometimes she would have to make the critical, very tough choice to decide for, okay, do I put my money towards food or feminine care? Because she only has so much. And I started to it really started to sink in why, you know, the work that you guys do is really important and how it is specifically driven, because I also didn't even bring up children at all. I didn't even throw in children in there, too. Now, throw in children on top of that. And, you know, I mean, uh, how much more stress can can one single person have on their load, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about a few things that you mentioned. So um, talking about a, a female in a, a male environment when it comes to a shelter, right? Um, it's also really important to point out that, at least here in, in, in Miami, what we, we heard a lot was well you know women don't really experience homelessness we don't see them on the street because eight times out of ten individuals you'll see out on the street are males but that doesn't mean that women aren't hiding women are out there i mean it's very obvious with
1: a very good point
0: yeah they have to hide you know they're not safe they hide in cars they hide under bridges they hide wherever they feel they can get some sense of safety um and if, if they have children even more so, they're hiding even more so for the safety of your children. So it's it's important to note that even though visually you may not see the women out on the streets, they're out there, unfortunately, and many of them are out there with kids as we're seeing here day to day. The second thing I wanted to say was um, almost 90% of the women and children we serve come from a long history or have a long history, I should say, of victimization or trauma. That can include family violence, sexual assault, for many dating back to their early childhood memories, so that is another factor you have to take into consideration when you you create a place like Lotus House where it's not just geared towards women and children, but it's trauma informed, right? Ensuring that our clinical resources, um, our other programs are offered in a trauma informed environment because when you take one child who's been through a traumatic experience, you would. Probably pivot the way in which you render their services if you have a child who has maybe not been exposed to sexual assault or has never seen violence in their home, right? It's important to know the difference and pivot. So what we do here is that we assess every child when they come into the shelter in a myriad of things. And based off of that assessment, our clinical team knows what that child specifically needs What linkages we may need to provide outside the shelter for maybe more robust supports and resources so that when mom and child exit the shelter, those bonds of attachment that were broken so often happens during homelessness are mended. because the idea is that we want them to exit the shelter system, not just exit us, exit the shelter system. And we have a pretty good success rate. Uh, About 86% of those we shelter successfully exit outside the shelter system, which is an Mm -hmm. amazing that if you compare it to some other shelter rates. Um, And then the other thing regarding, regarding uh, feminine hygiene, right? It's, it's sad to think that. Nobody
1: thinks about that. I feel like when they see homeless people.
0: Yeah. It's, it's sad to think that they're faced with a decision, whether to choose something that would alleviate their physical ailments, or maybe they have to choose a hamburger. Like they're, they're, they're put up against this, where they have to decide what is more important. And no one should have to decide between a meal or being able to go to the store and and, and buy their menstrual products, right? So that's another thing that we really focus on here is providing all our women with their most basic of needs and their children as well. No one should ever go without the most basic needs.
1: Yeah, and I I like that you brought up uh, trauma before too, because people who experience domestic violence and, and the trauma that comes with it, there's... I feel like there's not that uh, amount of knowledge out there to really consider like what they go through and how that affects them. So just because they're maybe now in a physically safe environment, like that trauma that they're carrying in their head, if they're if they're a teacher, for example, they're going to go to school completely distracted in every single element. If they're a nurse, they're not going to be as focused. And I mean, if if they're, you know, even like a, a doctor, if they went through domestic violence or or, or a, a trauma event you know, their, their hand's not going to be as steady anymore. And that just kind of drags through until you actually, you carry that weight with yourself until you fix it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to address the trauma. Unresolved trauma is probably one of the biggest ailments that we have. Just as a society, right. We, we path it on generation to generation. And that's another element of what we do, ensuring that we break those cycles of abuse, of violence, of trauma, of poverty, and we do so by focusing on the children. So we like to say children first here at Lotus House because that's the only way to break that cycle. They're they're the future, they're the next generation yeah. and they're the ones who are going to ensure that the cycle doesn't continue.
1: Yeah, and everybody I feel like in the country who's not in the immediate Miami area right now would just go like, "Oh, Miami's thriving. Miami is the place to be right now. Miami and Tampa." But you know, with that comes a lot of you know, housing changes. And I like that you had brought that up too, because I was going to ask you, you know, what is the the most common circumstance that you, that leads to people entering the the Lotus house? But I'm thinking with the combination of housing, hitting already people who are maybe in tough financial circumstances on top of, you know, obviously people um, experiencing domestic violence as well, that has, has had to have played such a huge role. I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I'll give you sort of a figure to kind of play with in your head. Pre-pandemic, our average uh, was about 480 daily, you know, and that was sort of like our max, 490 maybe. Pandemic hit, uh, we were definitely busy.
1: Of residents, 490 residents, yes. okay.
0: Yes, 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 sorry. Um, pandemic hit, our numbers increased, but now now that we're outside the pandemic, right, whatever that means, our new, our new normal, uh, now, our new normal in terms of occupancy is around 520. So even at the height of the pandemic, we never reached numbers like that. So that definitely is a clear sign of the hardships folks are facing outside in the community. There's little to no affordable housing. Yeah. Um, our, our rent prices are unparalleled. I mean, they they are folks with one income cannot afford to live here. And I think you see that in every big metropolitan city. And although what has occurred in the last year in terms of the overall economic uh, boost that we yeah. has experienced, it has also brought a lot of financial difficulties for those who are already living on the edge, right? And during COVID, so many folks, we know were living paycheck to paycheck, but COVID could not have made it any clearer when f- folks who lost their job and went out without one paycheck that made all the difference in the world for them. That's it. They they could not pay rent. They could not buy groceries. They could not buy diapers for their babies. And those hard decisions sometimes lead to inability to pay for housing because your children need food. And then eventually you'll be evicted. And eventually you'll come to a place like Lotus House.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like that you brought up um, the lack of short-term housing, or not short-term, excuse me, the... um affordable affordable housing too because that is hitting Miami extremely tight and I was in the property management field through covid so I I really yeah. had a I had a front row seat to what <laughs> what people were experiencing in terms of their finances people who were heavily affected by covid and one thing that makes Miami different in terms of homelessness and and affordable housing than any other city in the country is that usually there's development and there's affordable housing being built someplace along the lines. Even though even if it's not at the same rate as maybe luxury condominiums and all that, there is still some being built. But what's hurting Miami, especially with housing, is that there's the influx of condos that have now turned into Airbnbs. So a lot of condos would be, okay, I'm gonna live in them as a homeowner, or you know, I'm getting older, maybe I'm 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 moving to a different state. I'm gonna rent it out traditionally. But that right now is now almost being eliminated because people are jumping right to Airbnb. So they're not listing their apartments and condos anymore on Zillow uh, you know, to be rented out. They're now jumping to the Airbnb game. So now mm. those Airbnbs, obviously, you're not going to do, um, you know, you, they're not traditionally rented out. So that average Miamian who is looking for a place to live, that is supply of housing is now shrinking even more because those typical apartments that would normally be rented to them are now being taken off the market and put on airbnbs so much yeah and it's um it's something that's really not being talked about right now at all because it's it's shrinking that market so now the con the condos that would typically be in traditional for traditional renters are no longer there so you have the demand of miami Increasing and the supply of housing is actually at the same time decreasing because if you're you own in a own a condo in Miami for you not to Airbnb it and go with a traditional renter I mean you're you are you know kind of losing money so I I understand why they're going that route but at the same time the fact of the matter is that the the um, supply of housing is getting crushed and Miami has over twenty two thousand active Airbnb's listed. Wow. So that is 22,000 homes that are being taken away from the traditional renter right now and given to the vacationer. Um and when we think about that number, that's massive. That yeah. is massive because it also too would more housing would make prices maybe I don't want to say decrease at this point but maybe not jump
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> there would be there would be a little bit more because i i just pulled um, some numbers in terms of like the average housing as of 2023 a, a, a stu- from apartments.com and a studio is a little bit more than 2000 a one bedroom at 2750 two bedroom at 34 and a three bedroom over about 42 all with a rent increase of 27% within the last year and I'm thinking about my, myself when I had a corporate job, my annual increase never clocked over 3%, mm-hmm. let alone 27%. Mm-hmm. You know, So when you take that into account, those two factors of Miami being crushed, because there's not a city I don't think in the country that's being hit with th- that Airbnb dilemma than Miami is right now. And uh, that like South Beach side is starting to get its uh, make its way short term rentals over here into into the actual city part. And I just think to myself, if your housing goes up twenty seven percent, I mean you have to move out. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. So then what are your options? And if you're in that middle to upper middle class tax bracket, you you're you're probably pretty good. But then you're gonna you're gonna choose different housing that then those people living in that housing then have to make decisions because you're causing their, their rents to then increase. And then all the way down the ladder. And then of course, you know, uh, someone, someone's getting pushed around, you know,
0: it's a domino effect. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're seeing we're hoping that, you know, Miami is a beautiful city, right? It's a beautiful city. Um, and we just have to find a way to have both to, welcome tourists and visitors because we want them here. We, we, you know, we welcome them, but we also have to ensure that our residents have a roof over their heads. Um, and you know, it's not to say that that is the only reason that we're seeing homelessness. The homelessness is, has been an um, issue we've been fighting for a long time. It's also um, years and years of, of trauma. That's like a whole other spectrum mental health is a whole other spectrum that we also have to tackle as a community, as a society, as a country. And we have the best of the best team here. We honestly do. Um, And our women and children leave here better suited for the world and on so many levels.
1: And you are the largest women's shelter in the country.
0: Are we are. So we uh, just launched what we're calling our national women's shelter network. Um, And we have a team member up in New York and our director um, of the National Women's Shelter Network who have been visiting shelters across the country, women's shelters, women's and children's shelters across the country to just gain knowledge, share best practices. What are you doing? What's working? What's not? Here's what we're doing. Be a part of this network. And our hope is that what we've learned in the 16 plus years of operating and the way that we've decided to um, create our facility that we're able to share that information and in all our research with other shelters across the country, so that they can replicate programming for their their community.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. How um, do you know of how other shelters operate in di- in different cities? Are they facing kind of the similar? They've got to be facing the same similar crisis that you guys are, and, and the and the the residents having the same type of experiences that lead them there.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of crossover for sure, but every you know every city has its. It's hurdles and every um, city's residence has its hurdles. I will say that we're very fortunate here at Lotus house to have an amazing community of supporters who have made this facility, which you visited and this beautiful structure. It's beautiful. Possible, you know, and and not other shelters across the country have had the ability to secure that level of funding. And that's another area we want to help them with. And, And not, not to say that we want to, um, refer them to any specific sources of funding, but it's about information exchange. Listen, these are the type of things that work for us. These are the funders that that support us. And do you, what do you have in your community that's, that might be similar? Who, do you have a grant writing team? Do you not? What are your outcomes? What are your numbers? How can we help you showcase your successes in numbers? Because sometimes funders want to see that, right? They they want to see the anecdotal stories and the successes, but they also want to see numbers. What's your exit rate? How many folks are gaining employment? And that's important data to track and any nonprofit will tell you data is, is one of our
1: biggest things, Yeah,
0: difficult things, because you, you have to get it right. You have to get it right.
1: How is the, uh, the employment dilemma? Are you able to, are you able to find um, jobs right now for, the the residents or at least help them guide them through the way because I feel like the very first ticket of business is even just um like putting putting together a resume how to approach a job
0: yeah yeah so our whole employment education program is geared towards getting them job ready so workforce development resume writing classes financial literacy uh, professional development how to dress for an interview. The thing that seem as simple as that, and we do have really great uh, companies locally who are willing and able to come in and present current openings at their respective organizations, security companies, a lot of hotels. We have quite a few that come in and present on what openings are available and even help some of our guests through the application process. So we do help link them, but we definitely help prepare them before that. And we also offer paid on-site internships. So we have a culinary center, which is a completely commercial kitchen. If a guest expresses an interest in working in that field, we pay for their certification from the state of Florida to be a safe food handler. They go through a four week internship program in the kitchen learning from our team, uh, for everything from the serving line to cooking, to food prep. So they learn the whole back of the house of the kitchen. We have a thrift store slash donation center a couple of blocks down the street. They process all our donations of gently used clothing and shoes and furniture. So they help process that. They learn customer service, point of sale, inventory, you know, the whole shebang. And we also have an operations internship where they learn guest relations, cleaning, operational things. So we we really try to give them a hands-on experience so that for those who don't really have a long history of working, they can at least gain some of that while they're here.
1: Well, yeah, too, and if you think about just what you're teaching them too, when they do go off after they exit the shelter too, and they have their own home, I mean, cooking, man- maintaining the, yeah. you know, m- maintaining things is a life skill. Financial yeah. literacy too is um, one of the, I mean, the the foreground for it all too. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, we should definitely be teaching kids budgeting. Uh, in oh my gosh,
1: I know, I know, yeah. we should, but at the at the at the same time, I uh, I was talking with somebody like. I think like last year, maybe it was on a, a previous podcast. I had said, you know, wh- we were talking about why don't we learn about taxes in school? Um, and I and then I thought to myself, like envisioning myself back in like eighth grade or in high school. And I was like, mm, taxes or talking to the pretty girl in front of me, what does she think of me? You know, I was like, ah, probably not gonna everything happen. Time.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, maybe seniors are it, it, definitely in college, but I'm glad that, I'm super happy to hear that you guys are- are doing that as well because it really—it's so important. You can't get through life at at any point right now without knowing finances. It's like you know, back in the 1800s, and 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 knowing farming and and outdoor stuff, and you know, it's it's so imperative to get through life. Um, Absolutely. I I'd love to learn a little bit about how your exit strategy does happen. You know, taking somebody from they enter Lotus House how that how that process works i'm sure that that has got to be a very scary experience for them i can only imagine i've gone through a first day at school like how many times in my life and i was scared to death walking into an institution for the first time and not really knowing anybody not having um maybe resources or so but how does how that kind of works how you are able to cater to them to get them to feel comfortable and 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 feel established and welcomed to uh ha- having Kind of going through some of those screening processes you you talked about too with the with the kids and then trying to see you know where the the employment can take them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, hopefully you can vouch for what I'm about to say when, after you visited. But we really tried to make Lotus House a warm and welcoming place. Hence the art all over the walls. When at home you might have pictures of people you love on your wall. You might have art, right? So there is no reason why a shelter can't have that same feeling, that same warmth. Yeah. So- We were really uh, cognizant and tried to be very aware of that as we built this facility. So um, the idea is that it feels warm, it feels welcoming, it feels peaceful. So when, when guests get referred to Lotus House, they go through an intake process with our intake director, who is amazing, and she really tries to get their history, their background. Why are they here? What challenges are they facing? Are they employed? So we get a really good narrative of their life and their kids' lives. We then pair them up with a counselor. Um, and a resource coordinator, which is like a case manager, we just don't call them case managers here because they're not managing cases. We're uh, you know dealing with folks who who have had a a hard time at it. So we um, they meet weekly and they work on a person-centered plan. Everyone is asked to work on a plan that is catered to their needs. So some folks will be on the work path and some will not. What well, we consider the work path is someone who is physically mentally able and willing to work. There right. are folks who are not able to work and perhaps have to create an exit strategy that is a section 8 voucher or perhaps it's reunifying with family. Very often we have guests who have family here but those ties have been broken because of unmet mental health needs or whatever it is that they've experienced so through their process here they're able to actually reunify with them. So we sort of divide them that way in terms of, can they work? Can they not? If they can, we'll link them up with employment and education. If they they want their GED, we'll link them up with them, try to get their GED. If they are not able to work, we make sure that they're engaged in everything else that we have on site. So they create their action plan.
1: I um, love that. For, if I can stop you for a second, I love that ah. because you're, it's like, you're working with them. You're allowing them to make these choices for themselves. So they, it sounds like they don't. You know they're not there being told what to do, and and feel like that there's a thumb on their life. I love that you guys kind of like, okay, here's the here's the map. Let's let's work on this together.
0: Absolutely, it's a, it's a puzzle, right? And some folks come in with the puzzle just almost complete. Yeah, you know, yeah. Pieces are missing, right? And we help them. Others need a little more help getting that puzzle together. So that's what that's what our job is—to to take these pieces and help them formulate. life that they want um so everything is person-centered we do not have a a cookie cutter stencil for everybody It, Mm -hmm. it really varies some folks are with us a couple of months maybe that's what they need to save some money reunify with family get a job whatever it is that they need some folks need six months some folks need a year um and if as long as they're participating and active members of our program and they're working towards their action plan, they will be here for as long as they need to be. We're definitely not a permanent solution, we don't want us to be a permanent solution, but we understand everybody heals a little bit differently and needs some more time if they need some more time. So we definitely make it about the person or the family which I think helps to create a sense of comfort in their time here. They don't feel like they are necessarily on the clock they are on a clock internally, right? They have their own goals. They have yeah. their goals. But some need more time than others to, to make their goals a reality. So we, we understand that. Um, also, our holistic programming, I think, is a really great way to make this a community, a village. We always say it takes a village because it really, really does. For any uh, folks are there who are parents, no. It, it takes a village to care for children. I mean, my two kids are with my mother-in-law right now. That's my village. And I yeah. have a village right? So many women don't have a village, don't have a place or an individual that they trust to leave their children with. What do you do? You kind of have to choose between keeping my kids with me or going to work. So it's, those are choices that so many women have to make on a daily basis inside and outside of the shelter system. So we we take that into consideration and we have places like the United Way Center that offer daycare for our moms trusted daycare. Everything is free. There isn't anything that they pay for during their stay. So they can actually get back to work. So we've really taken into consideration what their specific needs are because there's a complicated structure to perhaps why they are with us. And we we, we really try to piece it together or help them piece it together. Um, In terms of their eventual exit strategy, we have a housing team and they work with each woman or family to come up with a budget to identify units if they are able to move out independently. And what that means is through their own income. Then we work with them to find uh, units. We help navigate the process with landlords, if it is supportive housing, um, if it is section eight housing, we help them navigate the system, which is really complicated. It's
1: very complicated. Yeah. I, I was a realtor in New York City for a year, working in property management for like five years, and it is very complicated with the it's pricing, so- with things changing, yeah. things coming and going off the market, landlords yeah. changing things last minute, you know, landlords, you know, being um uh, second guessing themselves, I'll put it lightly, when it comes time to sign, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So we help them navigate that process. And our team in many instances has the conversations with the landlords and always involving our guests, but always being there to help facilitate the process because it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. And when you are uh, perhaps have a mental health condition, it's even more crippling and it's even more overwhelming. So we, we really make it all about the family unit and what's best for them uh, and and I think we've done a really great job of of making our programming robust. I feel like we add something new every year because we learn something new every year. Yeah. You know, amid COVID, we learned a lot. So oh, we yeah. sort of pivot a lot of what we did and and incorporate a lot of new things and maybe remove things that didn't make sense anymore. So we're definitely dynamic in that way. Uh, we're we're not stagnant by any stretch of the imagination. We try to innovate because that's what our guests need. Our, we try to move along with the times and, and and what their challenges are.
1: That must be the most, I mean, you, you could, you could speak for this better than, than me, but that must be the most difficult part of the the job though, is, is getting, is working through getting them in a, an apartment, helping them with that search, because I got to imagine that at that point they've been at Lotus house for maybe a couple of months, maybe a year, they've grown exponentially you know they've seen that they feel better they've got a higher level of self-esteem and confidence and now they're envisioning themselves having their own place finally you know um buying their own curtains setting up their place how they want it's emotional that's got to be so emotional at that point because hope is very emotional And they're finally envisioning themselves and they're so close and they're thinking next week, this week, it could be this day, I'm going to shop, I'm already shopping for curtains and, you know, I haven't, they haven't gotten the place yet. I can only imagine how difficult that must be to maintain that because from what I know about the housing industry, it is anything but smooth. It is anything but smooth. If you want to look at from between 2000, a stock chart from 2018 to 2022 and see the ups and downs, that is exactly how it is and how it feels. And I can only imagine how it is for you guys yeah. um, working through that.
0: Yeah, it's an emotional process for anybody, right? Getting the keys. Yeah, for, your-
1: yeah, for yeah. anybody, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's an process. Yeah. I mean, I think um, our team does a really great job uh, being really realistic with our guests because our job is to create hope, hope that is achievable, that is attainable, goals that are attainable. We never want our women and children to feel like things are out of their reach, right? So we have created a really good rapport with our women and children. Our clinical team has done an amazing job at connecting with them in a really real way. We're not yes people where this is possible, but these are the steps you need to take to make this possible, or this is going to be a difficult road. Let's talk about what other options there are, let's talk about whether or not you're prepped for that. So it's really an open dialogue for the most part, our women and our kids, especially are really, really excited when they move out to their own place. So our donation center, uh, again, our community is incredibly, incredibly generous. So because of that generosity, we're able to help our guests furnish their apartments when they leave. We get gently used donated furniture, dining tables, couches, beds, no one leaves Lotus house without the most basic of things for their setup at home. Oh, good. They, I mean, that's a financial burden, right? When you're going to, to, Oh, um, it's a
1: security deposit. Basically
0: outfit a whole apartment for you and your two kids. That's a big financial investment. So if there's anything that we can do, even as they're exiting to help alleviate financial stress, we do that. And then um, our alum, we, we call them our alum. They are always welcome to come back to Lotus House for some of our programming. For the holidays, we welcome back our alum. So not only do our kids get toys for the holidays, we reach out to our alumni and say, what do your kids need? Because we know the holidays can also be a financial burden for so many, especially a mom, single mom with five kids. I mean, how is she going to make ends meet for the holidays while still juggling everything? So whenever we can alleviate we alleviate even as they exit Lotus house. So I think they know that, right. They know that when they exit, it's, it's not a hard cold stop departure from the place you've called home for eight months. It's definitely a family and they're always welcome back. And I'm not sure if you got a chance to see when you were on your tour with Victoria, but over 30% of our current team members are alumni of Lotus house.
1: Oh, wow. That's good. That's really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So our front desk operations, the ladies in the pink shirts up there, they're all alumni. Oh,
1: are they really? They're super nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we really try to bring them back into the fold. And now they're full-time health benefits receiving uh, staff members of Lotus House. And not only that, they serve as mentors for new families coming in because they've been there. They know specifically what they're going through. So it really helps bring that level of comfort we were talking about.
1: Yeah. And that actually also equally helps the mentors as well. Like yeah. everyone thinks, Oh, it's the mentor helping that person there. The mentor is equally getting help by helping yeah. other people too. It's such yeah. a um, contagious trait too, is helping people, which is great. And then I, I didn't, I didn't know that too, that everyone, or uh, 30% you said was um, part of a, yeah, yeah. Because I could say too, when I visited the facility, everyone was super, super nice. Um, Victoria was a doll. <laughs> so super nice as Yes. <laughs> and um it was very, very, very clean, very clean. Um, it, and it's very impressive too, to to see that with the amount of, of residents and rooms that you yeah. guys have and the amount of traffic that was going in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, and you guys were also, I mean, there was like three different repairs going on. So you guys are maintaining that place extremely well. Um, because from the property management side, I know how quickly things can break and break down yeah. and and all of a sudden, <laughs> everything else is going along with it too. So that, yeah. that, that was super cool to, to see. I would, I would love to know if, obviously, there's privacy issues here and so forth, but could you walk us through maybe like an individual like success story that, you know, say, X person, this happened to them, they're really in some tough circumstances, they came to Lotus House eight months later, now they're out there doing their thing and they're alumni and they're participating and so forth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, without getting too specific, um, we have someone who came in as a single, so just her, no, no children. um, Very, very, very deep, deep um, mental health issues that went untreated for many, many years. And of course, you know, that sometimes will lead to self-medicating, because that's the only way they can deal with their mental and physical ailments. When you don't have support, a support system, when you have no benefits in place to get the medical help you need, you're sort of stuck in this awful situation. So this individual came to us after being on the streets for many years uh, and really, really needed some deep mental health supports, which we helped provide her. And when she first came, she, as you can imagine, was, had a really rough go at it. Um, so she was not trusting of anybody. She had no real interest in seeking mental health supports so though she uh, needed it. And it was documented that she needed it from her, from her years of being out on the streets and getting picked up from a variety of places, right? in hospitals and, and police and things of that sort. But she was able to connect with someone on our clinical team so deeply and so genuinely. They built an incredible rapport. And she got the psychiatric assessment she needed. She got on her medication. We linked her up over at Jesse Trice. So Jesse Trice Health Center is our on-site medical provider. We work in collaboration with them. So they service not just our women and children, but also the residents of Overtown. So we linked them up she got the treatment she needed for her medical concerns and when i tell you she was a different person when she exited the shelter she was a completely different person mm. we, we had um uh, <clears throat> emergencies surrounding her inner relationship her relationships with um her interpersonal relationships with with folks and how she addressed people because she didn't trust anybody went yeah. from that to i mean we never had an issue with her for months before she exited she was happy she was content she felt good she felt like a person and for so long people didn't treat her like a person out on the streets um so she exited and i i just hope that she's feels the best that she ever has because she came in here and left a different person so that's just one of thousands of stories well and
1: if you haven't yeah i mean if if she hasn't come back too that's Probably a good thing too if she's out there doing her thing now and she's working and she's living and she's doing well. I mean, she's—you can guarantee she's doing better than when she, than when she got there. That's that's um, awesome to hear because that how how was that exit strategy put together? You you said it was it's personalized. So for her specifically, I'm sure it was trying to create a safety net for you know medications and um, to still be treat her. Her um her mental state on top of uh, was it like maybe employment as well or,
0: so she was on the employment path um, because of of what she her medical needs but so when guests exit here we ensure that they have a mental and medical health home in place and what that means is basically that once they exit Lotus House they're linked up with services or providers who will continue what they have been receiving at Lotus house. So we make sure that they are linked up to whatever other agencies or medical providers they need to continue that process of healing on any level. So everybody leaves here with a medical or mental health home in place. So okay. that's part of what our team creates. For this individual in particular, she exited with a, more, with a deeper medical mental health home in place because she needed deeper services And she needed to be able to connect with someone when she needed something. So hers was a little deeper and more robust than perhaps someone who is able to work and um, and sort of get to the doctor on their own. So hers was a lot more robust and ingrained in in the exit. But she exited with everything she needed.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like most importantly, too, if she's, you know, like she was working with your team at the end, too, you built a level of trust in her, you know, which is kind of, I guess, taking away or helping heal that trauma that she maybe even came in with. Because obviously, if you don't trust people, Mm -hmm. there's a reason why you don't trust people, you know, and it's probably a very good reason why. And you guys are able to build that trust up, which I really believe building trust is one of the hardest things ever once trust has been broken because if you think about any of your interpersonal relationships, work-wise, romantically wise, somebody breaks that trust with you. I mean, it's, it's extremely hard and more so long. It's a long process to rebuild that. And if you guys are able to rebuild that for her, now she's out in the, in the world, you know, with her own place and a job to where now she's approaching people, maybe not, um, you know, do you you want to uh, watch the game tonight? But at the same time, able to have a professional, um, you know, relationship, which is really great stuff. I mean, you guys, <laughs> I love what you guys do. I love it. it.
0: It takes a village, for sure. Yeah,
1: it does. Is that you're saying, by the way, it takes a village? Because that I was just <laughs> I was gonna say it should be yeah. if it's not.
0: <laughs> it's one of our our catchphrases. Yeah, we're hope blossoms is our official tagline, but it, we always say it takes a village because it does. I mean. We wouldn't be where we are today without the many, many community members and organizations that make what we do possible, including you, who have given us a platform. Oh,
1: thanks.
0: (laughs) Apple Watch turning on. But yeah, you're giving us a platform to talk about Lotus House so that folks who don't know about us maybe want to come by and visit and volunteer or give their efforts and, and time, which is needed always.
1: Yes. I've been meaning that to ask you too. How can people help volunteer? How can they find you guys?
0: Absolutely. So our website again is under construction, but hopefully in the next week or two, it'll, it'll be where it needs to be. And you can visit us at lotushouse.org. We also have a really active social media, particularly Instagram and that's Lotus House Shelter. Uh, but you can also email love at lotushouse.org and, there are so many ways in which you can support us, whether it's through volunteering, on an ongoing basis, on a one-time basis. If you're moving and trying to get rid of stuff, call us, you know, we we could always use some of your extra blankets and your pillows and your furniture that you're sort of upgrading, <clears throat> clothing, baby supplies. And of course, monetary donations are always needed. And that can all be found on our website as well. But uh, we often, very often, use volunteers to help support our efforts. I mean, we have thousands, no exaggeration, volunteers who come through our doors every year because so much of what we do really, really relies on the support of our community. So uh, love at lotushouse.org, you can email us and we'll give you all the information on how you can help us. Okay,
1: all right. It takes a village. <laughs> yes.
0: Don't steal my catchphrase now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I've been, I have i have to say too, I have to give a shout out to Tay. On the Lotus Village Voices podcast because I listened to uh, a couple of episodes and I was like, this audio, like, yeah, I was like, this audio (laughs) sounds better than my audio. I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah. And it was a, it was a really good episode because it gives a good. um, If anyone wants to look them up on on Spotify, Lotus Village Voices podcast, where um, Tay Tay uh, does an amazing job to talk about the experience as being a resident, and it's really awesome stuff, uh, and so check it out if you can. I, uh, listened to those episodes. So Tay-Tay, you're doing a good job hey. and maybe we'll have you on the podcast someday. <laughs>
0: I'll let her know you shouted her out. She'll love it.
1: Oh, it's on the podcast. It's going to be airing. So <laughs> hey. awesome. Thanks for yeah. That. Yeah. And, um, Beatrice, thank you, um, so much for everything that you, that thank you really you. do. Um, we'll hopefully touch base down the road and, and, and see, you know, how, how you guys are still doing. And, um, and we'll we'll hopefully link up down the road then.
0: Thank you so much.